Karin, thank you very much for coming back. I guess a lot of people who uh, listened to the first nine episodes were sort of sitting there, gently tapping their desks, thinking, where is she? Um, but yeah, you are better. You had a, yeah, a bout of being unwell, uh, but luckily you are much better now. Um, so welcome back. It's always good to have an opportunity to to talk with you. Um, today you. the yeah, today we're going to do something different, though, aren't we? We're going to move to talking about one of your real passions, which is uh, literature, um, and but more specifically, nineteenth-century literature, if I'm not mistaken. And you have picked um, a novel by Elizabeth Gaskell, uh, North and South, which I have to admit I haven't read. However, I have done some background research into the some of the themes that are discussed here, so I will be able to engage at least a little bit. Um, but yeah, so what can I say? You know, it's, it's great to have you back. And yeah, would you like to talk about you know, any sort of general thoughts that you may have had in the intervening period? It's great to be back and it's great to be able to breathe again. Um, <laughs> Well, which was was my trouble. It was had some heart problem. Um, I but I can breathe again. My voice is cracking a little bit. I I don't mind. You don't mind. So uh, in general, I would picked um, North and South as an example of nineteenth century women's uh, literature by women um, who were engaged in writing novels. Uh, in many cases, they had to use uh, men's names first, like uh, Charlotte Bronte, who will be, I'll be talking about a little bit too. Um, Mrs. Gaskell was the wife of a uh, minister in Manchester. And um, her novels are fascinating because they cover a lot of sub, uh, subjects and in depth. Um, to me, they are novels in terms of letting you look into the window of houses. They are, uh, in terms of language, they are poetic. So you could also say they have some uh, lyrical uh, aspects. And they have dramatic aspects, um, which is um, a look into the streets where things happening, where social life is um, rough, rougher than inside the individual in, or the houses. Um, but they all inter, inter, are intertwined, and this 
um, uh, parallel development in terms of human being, society and um, society and econ economy is what fascinated me in Gaskell. It already had before that fascinated me in uh, Shirley. Shirley is a novel by um, Carol, uh, Charlotte Bronte. And um, I discovered Mrs. Gaskell through the Brontes. There's a biography of Charlotte Bronte by Mrs. Gaskell. So this is how I first met her. And then I started reading everything she wrote um, and was fascinated by everything, ex um, with the um, exception that North and South fascinated me more because it is a novel about England. It's a novel about English life and social life and society and social struggle in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Revolution. Um, but North and South is a division which you almost have in every country. You have one part industrialized, the other part rural, and the strive between those two elements. Uh, you have it in Brazil, you have it in in, in a way in, in many other, uh, in, in America as well. Um, so it, it brought a lot of insight into my own country and into the history of my country. And it touched on a period in German literature I had worked in very closely, which is the beginning of the 19th century and uh, later the mid of the 19th century um, with the social strife around 1848. 1848 was uh, the first attempt at democracy in Germany, and it failed. Um, Mrs. Gaskell wrote uh, North and South around 1948, at, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, although she uh, placed it into the early part of the 19th century. In 1848, you mean? Uh, 18, yeah, I'm sorry, yes. yes. Yeah. That's, uh, mm -hmm. It was written in 1854-55 and was hugely successful. And um, as, a, as an aside, um, I love the uh, BBC version of it mm. with uh, lots of good actors. And it really gives the novel it's due mm. at the I mean, same time uh, reading is a different kind of experience and it's fuller it it gives you more detail it gets you more into all kinds of uh, aspects of the novel 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, listening to uh, your description of it, having also read uh, a sort of synopsis of the, the storyline, yeah, I am inclined to add it to my reading list. I, I currently have a responsibility of reading Simona de Beauvoir, um, and so I'm going to have to put uh, Mrs. Gaskell uh, sort of behind her. But I, I will come to her because, as you say, there is this very interesting uh, political or economic and social divide between North and South, which is reflected in other countries' reality. So you mentioned, obviously, the UK, the USA, um, you also referred to Germany. Uh, but Germany is also interesting because it's not just North and South, but it's also East and West because of right. what happened after the Second World War. In Italy, you've got North against South as well. And in France as well, there is this sort of uh, dislike, at least of the Parisian structure from Marseille, which is also quite unique to, to the culture. So, you know, there are lots of these uh, internal, not quite struggles always, but sometimes even literally struggles uh, between various parts of countries. So it's, is, it, is this like just, I mean, why do you think that is? Is it, you know, why do humans within... It usually, it usually yeah. has very, very realistic uh, reasons. It's um, it's a division in terms of soil, in terms of climate, in terms of productivity, in terms of uh, immigration, in terms of um, what is available. Mm. Um, the prevalence of London in in England is one because of the early. Uh, immigration or the early influence of the Romans and the French elements um, that concentrated in the south. Um, the elements of uh, the Vikings and the Danes in the north uh, did not have that much um, cultural effect as the others had, but um, Industrialization happened in the north. It didn't happen in the south of England. So the north, and I would call uh, Manchester uh, uh, north, and that um, this is where the um, cotton mills mm -hmm. uh, originated. And I remember my grandfather uh, telling me that uh, he was in textiles, that he um, made a lot of trips to Manchester. So whenever I discovered that um, Mrs. Gaskell had written about Manchester and Cotton Mill, of mm. course, I got more excited because it also brought back some uh, memories of my grandfather at the same time. I was getting into a feeling for English uh, English society during the 18th century, of which I did not have uh, any clue before that. Um, it hit on the themes of uh, industry versus country in terms of the division or the division that started in the uh, Church of England, the uh, dissidents or the non-conformists' um, developments with uh, Presbyterians, Methodists, uh, and so on and so forth, which is part of the novel as well. Mm. 
Um, so it also shows the different strata of society, the uh, high society that, who don't have to worry about money, that they, they have money uh, from, from, uh, from generations um, and their uh, children either marry rich, the girls didn't have professions, they had to marry to uh, remain or become rich. Uh, they didn't have a status except for the status of their family. Then there is the um, curates or the, the ministers. Uh, they are a class by themselves, but they can penetrate into the aristocracy and they have input into the lower social classes. So there are kind of a dynamic strata which open up a lot of possibilities for for particularly the girls the the working class is in dire straits during that time it was not just in england it was here as well but it is part of a novel which deals with all the strata uh, it's not like Dickens, where you get drawn into the the dire straits, but you see all different sides and how they interact. And what fascinated me with uh, North and South was that there are two people who develop. Actually, there are very few other people who develop that. No, Actually, there's a third one. The owner of the cotton mill in Manchester, which uh, is Milton in the book, is struggling with... This is John the, Thornton, yeah? It, it's John Thornton. Um, he has to struggle against the Luddites, the, the people who want to um, who who are against the way they deal with their wealth and their factories, and uh, they there are rebellions. In fact, he's in danger of being killed or hurt at one point, and um, this is the point where the his love interest, uh, the lady who comes into the picture as coming from the South, uh, the daughter of a, a minister, a minister who left the church because he couldn't abide by all the rules of the established church and had to start teaching uh, literature and, and philosophy uh, on a private basis and who's uh, student Thornton, John Thornton becomes, uh, she intervenes and throws herself into the way of a stone that's being thrown. And uh, this is the first encounter of a close encounter between the two who had been struggling in terms of uh, getting to like one another or understand one another. Um, 
between those two, there is a development, there's a strong development, and she draws into the development a worker, Higgins, whom she befriends, and she befriends his uh, two daughters, particularly one, one who has consumption. So we are in reality. We are in the reality of Manchester capitalism, uh, uh, cotton mill, uh, the fluff, the, the consumption, um, the negative aspects of uh, industrialization. And this young lady dies. That would be Bessie, I presume, Bessie, Bessie Higgins. Yes, yeah. yes, Bessie Higgins. In the end, through a long uh, development, Higgins and Thornton, the master and the worker, start to understand one another because it was Margaret, the girl from the South, mm. who is learning about the North. Margaret Hale, I think. Yes, Margaret yeah. Hale. She um, basically plants the idea into Thornton's head that uh, Higgins is somebody he can trust and vice versa. Uh, once they get together and uh, start solving problems together, um, trust one another. The the strive and the um, the rebellion leaves the picture of the novel. What comes in is outside forces, um, a blockade of uh, material from America. There's a cordon around England. There's no import possibilities, and the Cotton factories, uh, of course, don't get cotton. Cannot buy, uh, cannot fulfill their commitments, and uh, basically, uh, Thornton almost go, goes broke. Um, this is also very real. This parallels again, again in in all of the countries in in Europe in. 19, in the 1920s uh, and 30s, where the textile industry goes, goes, goes bankrupt wherever you look. And um, so again, it's, it's not just a novel that points to one particular point in time. It um, is universal in a way. And that struck me uh, particularly also because it um, it touched on experiences of my family. Yeah, and uh, I mean, also you, you mentioned the some of the, the background to the development of the storylines with regards to the you know, Industrial Revolution, the Luddites and the, the, the religious, shall we say, divisions um, at the time. Um, but there's also something called the Corn Laws, and uh, one of the reasons why uh, I think Manchester became so prominent was because of the Anti-Corn League, which was uh, essentially also um, centred uh, around uh, Manchester sort of business people who wanted to 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 remove the Corn Law, which basically was introduced to allow the the landed gentry in rural areas 
to put the price that they wanted on their corn, as it were, on their harvests, um, which kept them rich. Um, whereas um, the Anti-Corn League wanted to reduce uh, tariffs on imported foods. Um, that was and, the legal conflict between North yes. and South. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that also sort of plays a role in with regards to the background of some of the issues um, that are perhaps covered in, in the story as well. And you know, because this, this, and I, I, I want to introduce this as well, because, you know, we are still today struggling um, in many ways with the balance between import and export. And also, if you look at what's happening in the UK at the moment as a result of Brexit and so on, um, you know, the UK has a tradition of being an importing country with regards to foodstuffs. Yes. Yeah. So, so therefore, um, with the current pandemic and making it a little bit more difficult for those imports to arrive, this entire import model that the UK has with regards to food um, makes the current situation very difficult. So I, I also thought when you chose North and South that there were, it's it's amazing how many sort of similarities, you know, 170 years later um, are, are still, you know, essentially there today. Um, this is what fascinated me from the beginning. Uh, I had points of references historically before and during and after eighteen. Uh, 48 or whatever, um, it pulled things together. It made me understand lots of things better. Um, beyond the social and political aspect of the novel, aspects of the novel, it is also a love story. Mm. And the love story blends in, they are the, they are the actors within that scheme and all the other people around them fall in into a pattern with them, um, which makes it interesting because uh, Gaskell can also portray people, let them develop, uh, give us an insight into their feeling, into their thinking, into what they know. And this is very, very interesting for me. Uh, we understand that women do not have uh, the power to do uh, to get into a profession except uh, being governesses or something like this. Uh, that's their only way out except marriage. Uh, but they there are some women who love to live in wealth, like uh, Margaret's cousin in London. They live in London, uh, Harley Street, uh, the best part of London, are rich, don't have to worry. And the uh, cousin of Margaret is simply uh, deals Edith. with... with, Edith, with is, this? is this Edith? Yes, Edith <laughs> is... Um, we would say oberflächlich. She's on the surface. She's Superficial, not, yeah. Yes, she's not, uh, she's not thinking. She is simply enjoying life and doing what she wants. Can you, can um, you, can you just say, because when I'm looking at my notes, I have the description of Edith, Margaret's pretty cousin, 
intellectually inferior to her, feeble-minded, innocent, spoiled. So um, do you think that, for example, uh, Mrs. Gaskell used this sort of, as you say, superficial, rich, spoilt child uh, and gave her this inferior character to make it easier to accept these sort of dysfunctional characteristics? Um, we have a we have a parallel in uh, the sister of John Thornton, uh, who is also superficial, um, doesn't think about anything seriously, except when her husband makes money, she's very, very happy and she would have liked her brother to get into a very uh, questionable deal um, to make money to get out of the straits. Um, but he couldn't. Uh, he, he he couldn't because he would have had to risk the whole uh, the whole um, company and the um, the livelihood of all his, all of his workers. So he doesn't go in with the uh, with the deal that uh, the his sisters or his brother in laws making money from lately uh, uh, later mm. um, but these are the two women one having been born rich one having become rich because the Thorntons had not been rich from the beginning they he had he was a self-made man so his sister was the beneficiary of that whereas Edith uh, came from a long line of rich people who didn't have to worry. Um, and how does how does Mrs. Gaskell deal with this? As in, how does she present these characters? Are, are the one is the self-made uh, sort of nouveau riche character easier to like? Do you think in the way that she presents him? Um, he's fascinating. Uh, he fascinates the young lady from the south from the beginning, although she doesn't want to own up to it. Um, he is strong, he is, in the beginning, he is cruel, he's cruel to his workers, uh, but it's a cruelty that also has a reason. He um, goes all overboard and hits somebody in, in the uh, factory um, who smoked there. Background is... Um, one spark can blow the whole cotton mill mm. uh, to pieces. So in one way, he doesn't have his his um, yeah he's he's on the right side. He's right. On the other hand, he doesn't have control of his temper, and um, he doesn't trust anybody but himself because he has been, or except for his mother, who is a fascinating character. Uh, she loves her son, doesn't quite, uh, he, she loves her, her daughter as well, but uh, she doesn't uh, respect her. There, there's no reason to respect her because her daughter is just uh, fluff. Hmm. Uh, and she ha is, is identifying with her son. And her son is has made himself, has made everything with her, for her, and she stands right behind him. And therefore, 
um, when she sees that he's falling in love with the girl from the south, um, it, she starts hating her. Especially when Margaret rejects him, I think, on the first. Uh, yes, well, but, yeah. she, she didn't want him to. Uh, um, he, he proposes um, after she has thrown herself uh, in the way of the stone that was going to hit him. Okay. And he felt that uh, that was his duty. And of course, it was also what he wanted. Uh, and he was sure that she would she would say yes. The mother was against it because she didn't want to lose him. Um, but he made her abide by the fact that she he was going to go over to the house of the Hales and propose. And he was rejected. And he was rejected um, almost like uh, in... Uh, Pride and Prejudice, uh, you would be the last man in the, on earth I would marry. Mm. Um, which hurt him terribly. Uh, he withdrew. And this it gave his mother yet another reason to, to hate Margaret. But she was forced to deal with uh, Margaret and her family because first Margaret's mother died. Um, and later her father died as well. So there was some kind of uh, communication between them and she had promised uh, Margaret's mother that she would um, always be honest to Margaret and basically see to it that she didn't make any mistakes. Um, the novel is very involved in many, many ways. Um, many characters, many uh, different things, but to me the the intertwining of the social, the political, the uh, historical and the personal was so strong that to this to this day I reread and re-watch North and South uh, at least once or twice a year. Hmm. Which uh, for a long time I only did with Jane Austen, um, whom I still love. She is, in terms of the social aspect of her novels and the ironical aspects of her novels, um, historically uh, earlier. Because in that particular, in, in her novels, the women do not have a chance of anything other than marriage or uh, being, a, uh, being a governess or tutoring or something. And um, it's pre, you don't get very much of the um, historical background of, that, of those times. You get much of the historical uh, background in, in Gaskell. I mean, it's it's fascinating because you know, as you allude to in in your comments, there, you know, women really were not given you know, the 
their rightful positions within society. They were not necessarily educated or allowed, as we're talking about the masses here, not necessarily those in privileged positions, but even the ones in privileged positions, as you say, um, yeah, they were very disadvantaged on the basis of their gender. Um, but, you know, if you, we look at these, I mean, you, you talk about the Bronte sisters, Jane Austen, um, Mrs. Gaskell here. You know, I mean, these are thoroughly deep, um, politically intriguing, um, socially and economically analytical pieces of work, which clearly shows that, you know, the women of the day were way beyond what society allowed them to, you know, to, to express. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and what is fascinating is exactly how relevant this work still is. And it really shows you that society really missed out um, by not allowing um, you know, women to be more involved in society and society politics. Just look at how many r women writers of that period used men's names with their first publications. All of George Eliot, who is a woman, all of her books appeared under her male name. Um, the three Bronte sisters wrote under male names. Um, Mrs. Gaskell, in the beginning, used a male name. Later, uh, she uh, wrote under her own, but there were quite a number of women who could not have gone, uh, gotten into our consciousness as writers if they hadn't used male names. And this to me is also a sign of the time. Um, okay, you have uh, Charles Dickens who, um, is very, very powerful. And he published many of the women we've been talking about in uh, in segments like uh, all, uh, I think, uh, many of, of the novels by Mrs. Gaskell were published by Dickens as, as a series. Mm. Um, and he promoted quite a few women writers in his uh, publications. Um, but to this day, everybody knows Dickens. Nobody knows Mrs. Gaskell. Nobody knows George Eliot. I remember a German writer, a prominent writer, came to the Goethe Institute in London and was giving a talk on literature. And she alluded to uh, the books uh, that she had read and really, really uh, appreciated by George Eliot. And she said, uh, he is really a very good writer. And there was an outcry hmm. because of the he. Yeah. She didn't know. A writer didn't know that uh, we weren't given all the information about what happened in, in the 18th century. In the, yeah, in the 19th century. Yeah, 18th, 18th yeah. century. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is fascinating. And I mean, it also, again, also highlights that, I mean, because I recently read um, a, a, a very troubling essay by a lady who works in 
um, the, I think, marketing and advertising industry. Uh, Zoe Scallon, I believe her name is about how um, you know, sort of women are treated extremely uh, unfairly, subjugated, abused in many ways, at least verbally um, and contextually in many cases as well. And, you know, a part of what uh, her essay was that, you know, men who are also involved within the industry should not allow other men to get away with things, no matter of their seniority. And they should speak up. They should become more active. They should become involved. Um, not because women necessarily need their help, but, but society requires that of them. Um, and Charles Dickens shows um, all those years ago that you know such a thing is necessary. Um, yes. You know because without people like Dickens, we would not have had so many of these wonderful female authors. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what struck me also was uh, that those educated women. Uh, in many of the novels, were either educated through tutors, like in Shirley. She had this a strong character in, uh, by Charlotte Bronte. Um, shy and, and strong at the same time. She's a rich woman. Uh, she, because she is rich, she had a tutor. And she was very smart. In uh, North and South, there is um, Margaret, daughter of a minister, who was allowed to read and learn as much as she could and as much as she wanted. All the others didn't learn anything. They, they uh, did not have education. Education was for the men. Um, so again, the... the um, the clerics, the, the strata of the clerics was the one that could um, guide you up or down. They could, they, they would be able to penetrate the, in, the, the um, upper classes through, with their women, with, because these women were more educated than others, and could attract men from the upper classes. So it was also about education. There was no education, or as long as there was no education for women, um, women didn't have a chance. And, and this is something clearly which, um, I mean, I'm sure most people know by now, but it didn't change until after the First World War and the suffragettes. So, you know, we're, we're still talking about you know, right. seven, 70 years more or less uh, after the story is published um, and you know that's quite a lot of time um, and, and also it should be mentioned that you know even the the educated women who uh, clearly were gifted in areas of mathematics and science mm -hmm. when they you know, they were not allowed to hold official positions within universities until very late in the in, you know, into the 20th century and lots of um, I think male professors actually um, yeah, they put their names down to these theories uh, because the, the women were not allowed to do so simply so yes. yeah I mean this this kind of behavior went uh, okay some might say it even exists today but I mean academia is almost a lot unto itself but um, yeah, it, it really was very, very difficult for, for women up until, you know, moderately recently. Moderately, even into 
the period after the Second World War. I remember when I grew up when I was um, 10, uh, ready to go to um, gymnasium, high school. Um, first reaction, my father, who should have known, I mean, he, who, he knew better, but he should not even have said it. He said, you know, we can't send you there because it costs money and you have two brothers to come after you. Mm. At which point I went to my teacher and he came to visit my father and my father hadn't been that serious about my my not going. Uh, but he, he really gave him a talk and said, you cannot do that. Mm. This girl needs to go to high school. You can't keep her down. It was great that you had the support of your teacher in that. I mean, because that's a very brave thing to do. I mean, nowadays, teachers would, you know, try to avoid having such interactions with parents because it's just not worth it for them, to, for the hassle. Well, this was, uh, uh, for, wait a minute, uh, uh, 46 or 48. Mm. So directly after the war, and we had a elementary school which only had two classes um, first through fourth grade fifth through eighth grade and um, this teacher had allowed me to uh, do mathematics with with the sixth grade uh, when I was seven or eight um, he, he had a reason for it his own daughter was just one day younger than I was, and she was supposed to go to uh, high school as well, or to gymnasium as well. Um, so I got the benefit of his push because he was pushing his, his own daughter. And But I had the privilege of uh, having uh, German uh, German not not in the third grade or fourth grade, but in the seventh grade, I could simply walk from one room into the next. We had a two room uh, elementary school. And I would uh, have a different kind of instruction than the rest of my class, um, which was was a blessing because my mother had taught me uh, when we were evacuated in Thuringia, and I could read and write uh, when I was five. So um, I would have been bored stiff if he hadn't allowed that. But I was the lucky one that he did. And uh, in the end, it was my father wasn't serious because he had been uh, he had studied. He had. Uh, he was a diploma engineer. He had uh, been outside of Germany for four years in Japan. Um, he, of course, he he wanted his daughter to have a good education, but um, because of that one sentence, I could empathize with the women of the. <laughs> 19th century better than otherwise mm. because yeah. there had been a question they had they had they had no answers i had i got the right answer but uh they had they had only questions they were not allowed to 
And yet really? they found they found a way, though. I mean, which also exhibits uh, or speaks volumes for their character. You know exactly, exactly. There were strong women, and this is what pulled me into literature by women in England, because England has a tradition of letting women be strong. You have English women who went uh, through the colonies. Uh, looking for for different kinds of flowers, painting them. If you go to London in in uh, in Kew Gardens, there's a pavilion with pictures uh, by one of those women who alone went through the world and collected uh, flowers and painted them. And this was accepted as um, something not normal, out of the normal, but it was accepted and it was exceptional. So in a way, the the women that uh, England uh, let grow really brought the country forward. Um, we had, uh, Germany had, a number of women, but uh, it took some time before even the women in in the sciences got the reputation that they need that they uh, deserved in literature uh, for a long time. Not at all. I mean, they were excluded from the general, um, as we say, canon from the from the uh, reading lists of students or or te mm. teachers even. Yeah. No, um, so uh, it's but it's not just these novels are more than just women's novels. This is what I am trying to uh, stress. They were they brought the world. Economy, religion, um, psychology, um, social strata and the plight of women. Yeah, and as you allude to, you know, the human element of the interactions, the intertwining, the the romance. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I've read a few classics, by no means enough to be an authority on this. But would you say um, that the women authors of the 19th century were better at illustrating romance than their male counterparts? Um, they were more ironical in portraying it. Um, there were some some males who could also write uh, about romance and women. Um, it came. It it was on a different level. Mm. Here you have um, women writing about women and men. They don't just write about romance from the position of women, but they also let the men speak in their romantic moments. So you get you get a fuller picture. The romance in in people like Thackeray and and even even. Uh, Tobias Smollett and Humphrey Klinker, they are just a sideline of, of the other topics that they 
that they touch on. Um, the psyche of women is not necessarily what they're interested in. Mm. And here you have women who are interested in the psyche of men and women. Um, probably because uh, they grew up in in a world that was dominated by men and they had access to more men than they had to more, had to women. Mm. I mean, I, I would add Jack London to your list as well, um, because it, it's a very cursory sort of glance from what I've read uh, with regards to uh, the relationships uh, and very much male dominated as you. Yes. As yes. you would do too, yeah. I mean, but, 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 there are but, exceptions. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, but Dickens was very good, I thought, um, in at least consistent in presenting uh, female thought, uh, female characters. Yes, but the female characters—they're not that sensitive to others. He is sensitive to their feelings, but. The female characters are not depicted as being very sensitive to to the male uh, element. I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I would definitely bow to your your superior wisdom in, in this no, area. No, um, <laughs> no, I have to. I have to. I mean, I've yeah, I've read Dickens. Um, I've not read all of Dickens. That this this unfortunately remains something that um, I will. Uh, pursue with vigor um, and and also obviously this is a challenge which you have you know very generously aided in by sending me the complete works of Dickens for which I'm eternally grateful um, and yeah but, but it's something that I, I, I clearly need to need to address I mean I, I find that I'm drawn to you know more female writers Although of a of a contemporary nature, so I, I'm I'm reading more um, you know, female writers of the 21st century. Um, I, I feel that they there is a certain um, passion, a certain raw uh, anger and angst uh, in some of the character representations that you have. It's also interesting that there is a greater sort of mixture of genders and gender representation in 21st century literature, which you never experienced in the 20th century. So. Right. Yeah, there are many steps forward um, yes. in, in the industry. Uh, plus, uh, women writers are more direct, particularly those of the 21st century. Uh, they are direct in terms of they don't hide their intelligence, they don't hide their questions, they don't hide their anger, um, which they had to do for for this for a whole number of centuries, uh, even in the 20th century, uh, women writers in early 20th century, German women writers were uh, were sentimental in the sense of um, we can't really say and do what we want to do. So we are uh, being empfindsam, we're going to be sentimental in the sense of sentimental journey. I never, I, I could never really get into reading uh, women writers of the 20th century, in the, particularly not the beginning of the 20th century. That came later. But I don't read because somebody, uh, something was written by a woman or something was written by a man. Um, 
I, I'm a, an avid reader. Uh, I, when I was young, I read anything and everything. Um, the reason I got into the 19th century, uh, 19th century English literature was um, when I was in England, um, I was get I didn't have access to the most modern German writing, and it really didn't quite interest me because they were um, so so much stressing the formalities of writing, the experimental writing. Um, I had a feeling English writers could tell a better story. And over long periods of time, I still think that is very true. And I love storytelling. Um, I'm, I, I dive into a book and I, there are books I, I read over three days and they may be a thousand pages. If they're, as I say, um, if they're knitted well, if, if they really draw you in. You cannot read, for instance, Shirley day and night. You have to give it um, room in between. Uh, it is not that compelling. Read me, read me, read me. You have to think about it. You have to drop the book. It's not that much of easy reading. Um, the um, North and South drew me in so that I couldn't stop, yes. Uh, but that's the type of books that uh, interest me more. And that is very rare in German literature, I would say. But I mean, I, I hope that we will touch on uh, some uh, examples of German literature that have uh, drawn you in, because um, I think we, we've we reached that uh, point in our sort of podcast series where we, we will be moving you know, through, you know, s you know, different stories as we, as we develop, because that's, you know, essentially what, um, you know, is your passion, but also something that, you know, I very much love. I love literature um, and I'm very self-critical of the fact that I haven't read enough um, uh, of it. So, you know, I, I also sort of breathe that literal breath uh, through your words. And hopefully we'll find it as an inspiration to, you know, to push me to to reading them as well. So, um, you know, I mean, yeah, next time, would you like, would you, do you think you would perhaps uh, add a, a German book for or, or author for the next time that we talk, do you think? Um, let me think about it. Okay. There are, uh, of course, there are German writers I, I dearly love. Uh, there's a there's an Austrian writer I dearly love. He's in his fifties, and uh, every book he wrote, um, he writes like uh, it's easy to write. And I'm one who who has to really work at writing. It's it's to draw it out of myself. Uh, and his books read like he just sits down and writes, and uh, stories about people uh, on the border of society and with he portrays them with with a love and kindness that is it, it's it's really flooring me um he's an austrian writer um and i will i will probably 
uh, reread one of his books. I've unfortunately I've bought these his books so often, and I always give them away. I don't have one here, so I can't even read uh, reread anything. But there's one I dearly love, and it may take some weeks before we can talk about it. Um, it's Ein Leben von Se uh, Robert uh, Seefeder, an Austrian writer. Mm -hmm. Okay, well then ha happily then we will uh, consider uh, Mr. Seefeder then in a yeah. few weeks' time. Yeah. Um, okay, but then I must mm -hmm. I must apologize because I realized something that. I didn't use, I wasn't used to doing or feeling. I feel um, I'm getting opinionated about literature. And I, it may be old age that I can say that is something that I had to read. And it, I know it's good, but I wouldn't reread it. Uh, but that is something I would reread. and. These are different things. Um, German literature from eight, from uh, eight hundred, no, from yeah, eight hundred and fifty, through modern times, um, in one big lump over a period of three years, reading for the for the PhD, um, doesn't leave time to read what you would like to read. So in a way, you get tired of reading good literature because because you have to. Mm. And I've gotten away from that. I'm uh, really reading or rereading things I dearly love. And they may not be the non plus, but I think um, I still have not lost my taste for literature. Well, that's great that, to hear because you talk about it in such a thrilling manner. Well, it's it's uh, it's an apology that uh, I had to throw in there because uh, I realized all of a sudden that uh, years ago I wouldn't have been so negative on German literature because um, I was right in I was right in it. I had to read it. We had to read something like 2,000 pages a week to get through. And that becomes a strain and it becomes, however good the books are, you, you lose, you lose nerve. And as I said, I'm reading right now books out of my library that I haven't touched for 10, 20, 30 years and discover many things I really, really like. Uh, the English uh, novels of the 18th century of the 19th century, um, I've picked up frequently, even just to read four or five pages. And thanks to BBC, many of them have been put to film and have been filmed in a great way. So um, I always double the input of North and South book, North and North and South uh, video, um, and so on and so forth. Jane Austen, Brontes, uh, uh, Thackeray, uh, what have you. I always have the book and then uh, read it and then see the movie again. Um, 
And that's a very, very nice way of looking at literature from two sides, because a film book, of course, is totally different. It loses in one way, but it gives you images and it gives you points that your mind remembers. So that combination, I think, is wonderful. Mm It would also be good to hear your thoughts about a story or writer or book that you disliked and that we could go into as opposed to talking because it's, you know, I suppose that there are so many books that you really like um, that we could uh, talk about. But maybe every now and then you could pick out a book that you really dislike and you could tell me why. Um, and yeah, maybe we could think about that, too, as a as a topic. But um yeah, right. Karen, yeah, I mean, you, you, you said earlier that you, you didn't want to, to talk for too long, and I've already kept you going for an hour. <laughs> you kept me going, and I kept you going. <laughs> no, but, I mean, for me, it's not a problem, but uh, I mean, I'm, you know, we want to ease you back in to the, the podcast sessions. So, um, yeah, it's great to have you back. It's almost as though we had never lost our contact. Um, so easily we did didn't. you... Yeah. yeah, no, we didn't lose the contact, but the, we didn't... Uh, the, the conversations, um, we, we we couldn't talk um, for the past couple of months. So you, you sort of slip straight back into your natural mode of being you know, great in your communication. So I'm extremely happy um, to, to be able to have these chats with you again. I'm so glad we can talk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay, after this then, let's have a quick chat to see when you are next uh, available. All that remains for me to say is thank you very much. Um, and thank you for also um, yeah, introducing North and South to me. I It wasn't actually on my radar. So thank you very much for that too. Plus try to get the... Uh, the um the tape from the BBC version. Yes, uh, well, uh, less tape, but streaming nowadays, I think, is a possibility. But of course, um, I will try to, to to grab a hold of it. Yes, and because it's fun, it may also be fun for for uh, your wife and uh, maybe even uh, Beata may be interested mm. in looking yeah. at it because it's it's in English, German, and I think Italian or whatever. Okay, well, I'll watch it in Italian and I'll let the others watch it in German. <laughs> and, uh, we'll see how I don't know whether this is the one. Uh, I, I have one uh, tape, one one DVD uh, that is in German, English and, and Italian. I don't know exactly whether it's that one, but um, definitely it's English and German. Mm. Okay, all right. I'm, I'll find it and I, uh, I'm sure that we will have... Uh, yeah, a lot of fun watching it. Um, yeah, brilliant. What else can I say? Thank you very much, Karin. It's wonderful to speak with you again. Thank you. Two and a mic. Two. 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 Two.